1: Sharks fans know who Mark Smith is, especially if they listen
2: to our Sharks Audio Network broadcasts. Smitty has some unique observations about the game because of his varied background. He began his Sharks career in 2000 after being drafted by the San Jose team in 1997, 219th overall in the draft. Smitty was an important part of the Sharks for six seasons, and he was on the ice for some of the most interesting moments in club history. Let's visit with Mark Smith today on Where Are They Now? It's always great to talk to Mark Smith about hockey, about music, and about everything else in technology in Northern California, and that's uh, just the beginning of this multifaceted individual who has been such a big part of the San Jose Sharks organization for so many years. Smitty, it's great to have you with us, and it's interesting that Right now, as we speak, we're on the verge of yet another era beginning in San Jose Sharks history, what with the trade of Eric Carlson to the Pittsburgh Penguins, and with uh, all the changes with Mike Greer coming in as GM, you got to be excited about uh, what, what's going on.
3: It's uh, definitely exciting time in, in San Jose, going through a lot of changes. Uh, yeah, Ruzi, always nice to sit down with you and, and have a little chat, but uh, definitely things in San Jose are, are changing. Um, you know, Greerzy coming in, just... Uh, taking this team over and and pushing some buttons right now and and getting some new faces in here so uh you know it's i think it'll be good for the fans to come back and and kind of see and get a new identity here to these these players and start building some connections with the new guys when we see
2: young people that uh, we kind of associate with as kids then suddenly grow up and when they become adults and you see them being successful in whatever field they, they they choose, it's always really gratifying. And It's not exactly the same, but what about the whole idea of seeing somebody like Mike Greer, whom we knew as a player and as a great guy in the locker room and certainly a valuable member of a good team, rise to the level that he has?
3: Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Um, you know, and I, you couldn't be happier for, uh, for a guy like Greerzy. obviously, uh, just the way he played, the way he handled, handled himself in the dress room and around the players and, and even the media and, uh, just a, a classy individual. And, um, you know, I got to spend a little time with them at some sharks events last season and just getting the getting to see him again and go rehash some old memories is always fun, but, uh, what a stand-up guy. And it's, it's great to see him, um, you know, jumping into this position and really going after it. So uh, all the best to Greers. It's, it's, uh, it's fun to, to see him around.
2: Well, we want to go back in time a little bit with you and to talk about uh, how you got to the national hockey league, because obviously you've had a, a very varied path in life in a variety of different ways. And it all started for you in a pretty small town, in saskatchewan i think
3: you were born in edmonton though right weren't you i was born in edmonton yeah i uh i moved to eyebrow saskatchewan when i was about uh, two or three years old and uh that's where that's where it all started not a lot in eyebrow there's maybe a 120 people in the town um but uh we lived on a farm about 15 miles outside of eyebrow so we were we were really out there we weren't even in Eyebrow. so uh we were kind of halfway between eyebrow and elbow. And I, I sometimes joke that I grew up in the armpit of Saskatchewan, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. It,
2: it sounds a lot like the life there was not that dissimilar to what Patrick Marleau grew up with in Aneroid, Saskatchewan.
3: Yes. Very, uh, very similar. And, uh, you know, I can't remember actually playing Patty. He was a little bit down South in a different division when I was playing, uh, you know, just growing up and playing, uh, you know, see your B Hawk or whatever we're playing on the farm there. Um, so I never, I don't think our paths kind of crossed. Some other guys, you know, I would cross Curtis Brown and a couple other guys, Corey Sarich. He he lived down the road from me. So we would battle as young kids, never, never until I kind of got to junior where I started hearing about this Patrick Marlowe kid and uh, just got to see him firsthand and obviously compete against him so much in the WHL. And uh, it's great to obviously. Be a part of his whole celebration last year and that uh, that whole alumni game everything was was top notch great uh, great great job all around and it was so much fun. Well, you were in Lethbridge playing with the Hurricanes, and that's obviously a team
2: in the Western Hockey League that's had a, a really good uh, tradition. And you were the guy that, as I understand it, were the one that had to go up against Patrick Marlowe, oftentimes one-on-one when the Seattle Thunderbirds came to town. Tell us about that.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I uh, this is the one card I hold over Patty in, in my career as our careers somehow took a little dif- different turn uh, down the road at some point. But uh, we were playing actually Seattle in the WHL finals. And this was actually both of our draft years as I, the guest 97. And uh, you know, I was, I was a third line player at that time. And, you know, just kind of building my, my penalty kill and my defensive game and and my coach had a lot of confidence in me at that point, which is, which was rare, but uh, this guy really liked me. Um, so he's like, your, your, your job is to shut down Patrick Marlowe, right? He's, he's this force that the, uh, that Seattle Thunderbirds have, and and you go out there and you gotta check them. So um we end up doing really good. We had a pretty stacked team. Chris Phillips was on that team, Dale Pierrington, Bryce Salvador. So we had some big names on our side uh as well, but uh we uh, we managed to, to beat them in four and went on to the Memorial Cup. But uh that's one one I'll never let Patty uh live down, that's for sure. But uh I, I'm sure he's got some stories uh, that uh, will counteract that one. <laughs> I, I, I think he's got a couple. I mean, after
2: all, more games played than anybody in the history of the game. But it's really interesting to note that 1997 draft, you know, Patrick Marlowe was drafted second overall by the Sharks and Scott Hannon was uh, 23rd overall. And then uh, you were drafted in the much more uh, humble 219th overall position when you were going up to, to getting drafted, did you expect to get drafted? Did you, did you have any idea that the sharks were interested in you?
3: Um, so there was some rumblings and stuff, right? I was, I was a year older than those guys. So actually, if you think about it, I was actually drafted in like the 18th round because <laughs> they, I got passed over the whole year before that, but uh, they you know, there were some rumblings. I did some camps and stuff, but San Jose was definitely a, a team that I uh, had some interest in me. And I remember going to their, like, kind of like the combines where, you know, you go in there and they, they do all this fitness testing on you and stuff. And I remember seeing Patty there and, and Scott Hannon and a, a bunch of guys as well. And uh, tell you what, there was some grueling interviews. Um, I remember Dean Lombardi uh, interviewing there was like four guys on one side and Dean Lombardi and like three or four scouts on the other side of this table. And, uh, they were asking you some pretty hard questions and, um, they did their homework and, uh, you know what I, that actually series that I played against Patty was probably a defining moment in my career because obviously the sharks were, were there heavily vested in, in watching Patty perform. And, uh, having that chance to kind of play against him and and showcase you know what I could do probably got me noticed and and they took a chance on me in the ninth round I'm glad they did and the, the rest is history I've had some some great years in San Jose and great relationships obviously building with Patty Marlowe and the Scott Hannons of the world and uh, you know still see him at the rink all, all the time now as well so it's uh it's pretty cool. What I
2: find really interesting, too, is you were drafted 219th overall. And that number just jumped out at me because, you know what? It's the same exact position in the draft that the Sharks drafted Yevgeny Nabokov just a few years earlier. He went 219th overall. So there must be something special about that number in the NHL.
3: (laughs) It's it's definitely a number that... uh that two guys nabby and myself hold uh, hold dear to our hearts that's for sure and uh, we've, we've actually talked about that as well and kind of had a chuckle about that but uh, pretty cool stuff uh you know that, was, that goes to show kind of how the sharks you know were putting these teams together back in the day um it wasn't always about finding the most talent um you know i think it, dean lombardi was a big part of that the the guys he brought in you look at them and you know a lot of them kind of had some trouble in in their past and and a lot of character um and those teams those early teams when we had success they were all built around character and and camaraderie and and uh, pushing each other to another place that might not might not be comfortable and those teams were I, i will I am very happy that I got to play with a lot of those guys and, and play in that time when we had success and, and meet these guys because uh, I've learned a lot from them and I still apply that to my everyday uh, life now. So it's, uh, it's a pretty cool stuff. We're reminiscing with Mark Smith about his days
2: with the San Jose Sharks and the National Hockey League. And I want to take uh, that thought you just uh, mentioned back to eyebrow and back to the, the family that you came from, because um, you have a very creative family, an eclectic group of people. Tell us just a little bit about your family.
3: Um. So, yeah, I grew up on a, on a farm, obviously, and had an older brother, an older sister. Uh, so I was the youngest of three. Um, you know, hardworking parents, uh, farmers, farming from sunup to sundown, and then a little bit more in the middle of the night, probably as well. Uh, uh, but uh, just hardworking family. And I re- I remember, you know, as a, as a young kid going out and driving tractors, spending hours in the tractor, throwing bales around uh, all the hard work that a young boy should, should be doing. Um, but, uh, you know, you really learn a lot of discipline, and a lot of gratitude when you when you grow up like that and um yeah my parents were great they drove us all over the place for hockey and and so uh you know I I did take a beating from my older siblings that's 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 as it should be probably but uh I've uh, often joked with my brother and stuff and I'm glad he uh, he was so hard on me because uh I remember as a young kid I sometimes needed a little bit uh, of a motivated kick in the butt and uh my brother definitely gave that to me and and uh my sister did as well so some pretty fun uh fun stuff and great family um just saw my sister a little while ago so it was uh, some some fun times well that certainly
2: built a lot of character and i know that uh, that you developed a great love for music and actually playing musical instruments as you were growing up but when did your uh, connection to the guitar and some other instruments
3: begin so my my mom's side of the family was super musical and you know you grew up singing and she would make us sing in church and get up in front of people and do that uh you know take piano lessons and all that kind of stuff and i kind of quit piano at some point and it wasn't until i kind of got hanging around some some of my friends at out at a lake that uh, you know they were all played guitar and harmonica and we would we would pick up guitars and go and and have fires on the beach and stuff. And that's kind of when I really started uh, gaining a love for, for singing and playing guitar. And uh, yeah, it kind of, my time when I moved away from home was, was 15, kind of right in the same, same ballpark. And tell you what those, that guitar got me through a lot of, uh, you know, lonely times, kind of as a kid on in a city, you don't know anyone. And, um, so it was, it was like a, a best friend to me. So I, I, I still love playing. I, I don't get to play as much anymore, but my kids are now musical and, you know, trying to show them a corridor to here and stay relevant. It's <laughs> basically it. Well, that's always good.
2: You mentioned fires on the beach and playing guitar. Where is there a beach in Saskatchewan?
3: <laughs> Actually, we have a quite a few lakes in Saskatchewan, uh, more up North, but, uh, This was uh, Last Mountain Lake. It was just kind of outside Regina. We had a cabin out there on the lake. And, you know, we would go out there in the summers and uh, just had a really good group of friends and really unique individuals, very artsy. And it was actually a really nice reprieve. Uh, It was totally something different than hockey. All of the friends were, like, heavily invested in music. And um, so that was – it was a nice little break in the offseason. I still think these kids – we play too much hockey here. We, we, these kids need a break in the summer. And uh, I think that, you know, would, I would come back in the season with feeling refreshed and and really miss hockey. And um, I think we, we need that. And we've kind of gotten away from it a little bit. It's interesting
2: because a lot of people say also that if you play another sport, it's helpful in your hockey career just to kind of have a different perception of how to think about a a particular team game. But but you're talking about actually even getting away from sports entirely, aren't you?
3: Yeah, I mean, definitely. We were playing sports out there as well, you know, baseball and volleyball, everything and and i i'm a huge proponent of playing other sports obviously you build different mechanics and and you you know develop different muscles timing everything you know and it it all comes back and and plays a part whether you think it does or not um so yeah i guarantee you ask any hockey player they've they all play like five or six different sports growing up and uh that's one beauty thing beautiful thing about hockey is it's it combines a lot of different elements to the game you got to be poetic you got to have finesse but you also have to have toughness and grit and it's kind of everything rolled into one it's uh it's a pretty cool game
2: well you came to the san jose sharks organization and uh Spent a couple of years with the Kentucky Thoroughblades of the AHL, just getting yourself ready. You played a couple of playoff games and then really three, well, two and a half full seasons of, of AHL hockey under Roy Sommer, one of the great legends of American Hockey League history. Tell us about going to Kentucky, about, about the loneliness perhaps that you might have felt getting
3: away from what you were familiar with. it's it's kind of funny because I got drafted by San Jose obviously you look at the first thing you look at is where's their minor league team and I I was like Lexington Kentucky oh man I was I didn't know anything about Kentucky obviously I just pictured horses and and uh cowboys is kind of what I pictured and at that time I was kind of a hippie kid with like I I like guitar and and Neil Young smashing pumpkins so I was like uh i don't know if i'm gonna really dig kentucky but i got to kentucky and i had so much fun the team we played on was amazing we had a really good group of young guys uh super welcoming and the city was nothing like i expected it was a fun college town really young great people um i i really really enjoyed my time in kentucky and um i think that actually translated on the ice you know i had some pretty successful years there um obviously under Co- coach Roy and and Nikki Fatio as well uh they they taught me a lot in in the minors and kind of just taught me how to be a pro right and um my third year I, I ended up making the jump up to San Jose but uh, those years in in Kentucky were were awesome and uh I I loved my time there
2: well, you played 23 Calder Cup playoff games, and that kind of brings us back to the present where uh, Mike Greer is trying to uh, to build an organization that is uh, playoff bound all the way through. Don't you think that those Calder Cup playoff games are really important for a young player to go up against men and, and to be in a best of seven situation?
3: Oh, it, totally. Yes, for sure. And, you know, when I was my first year, I got drafted. um, I went back to to Lethbridge and played another year there as an overage. And after that season, they sent me right to Kentucky. So my first two games in Kentucky were actually playoff games in Hershey. Um we ended up losing uh, that, but that was an eye opener, um you know, coming from junior, <laughs> coming up here and playing jumping right into the playoffs uh, against these grown men. um, they were so much smarter and you know a little bit faster as well but you know it was the mental side of the game that just the speed of it um and and that is um playoff hockey is you know all about that extra step and it's not necessarily physically it's it's mentally too and these guys are thinking the game so much faster than the younger kids so that was that was great experience for me um you know, getting to see that and then playing the couple years there and definitely prepared me for, for what I was about to face in San Jose.
2: What about the idea that you're playing against people who are doing it for a living, as opposed to people who are just playing hockey for fun, which you still get a, a a sort of modicum of that in junior that, that makes a difference too, doesn't it?
3: Yeah. Yeah, it does. You know, these are guys' livelihoods. Uh, You know, a lot of these guys are, you know, we're 25, 26, 27, in the prime of their their lives and you know they have families to support and you know bills to pay it's it's uh it's a whole different ball of wax right and as a young player coming up and experience that and learning from them and you know learning how to handle life outside of the game because you know that's really you don't have a curfew you don't you're on your own at that point and um you know whether whether you can handle it or not you know that's that kind of defines your your career going um, out from there. But uh, some some good learning, some good times, with some good guys. We're reminiscing a little bit with Sharks alumnus Mark
2: Smith and uh, Smitty. When you finally got to the NHL, you were here to stay with the San Jose Sharks for four full seasons before a lockout kind of slowed things down. You ended up coming back with the team, but uh, uh, during those years, you were part of some of the most special hockey that was that was ever played. Uh, daryl sutter was your was your coach when you came to the national hockey league and i suppose that that was an interesting experience too playing for big d
3: yeah we we all know big d we all we all love him he's uh just another character individual that you know was that was part of dean lombardi's vision right um and coming to play for daryl i think I didn't quite get off on the right foot with Daryl. Um, you know, Ronnie Sutter was on the team and Ronnie was kind of getting to the end of his career. And when I stepped in, uh, they let Ronnie go. And I think that that was a little bit hard, um, kind of as a young player and, and, you know, obviously it's probably hard for Daryl to kind of see that as well. So, it was a little bit hard i think for me in the first couple of years playing here in san jose but um you know i i obviously wanted to prove to daryl and and everyone else that that i belonged here and and uh so you know you, you're i was playing with that as well in the back of my head i um, trying to prove myself every night and uh you know it's hard but uh I I eventually think I won Daryl over we're we're good friends to this day and you know I had a good year with with him in Calgary as well at the end of my career so Um, but uh, obviously some hard things that people maybe in the not in the forefront of hockey don't don't realize that you know a lot of players go through this kind of stuff and um, you know you got to find a way though right that's that's uh, what happened.
2: Well, you scored your first NHL goal in Music City in Nashville, Tennessee, which makes sense given uh, the musical side of your personality. But I was looking at the uh, at the box score from this game, and I had forgotten this. But one thing happened that night that was really special. You scored your first NHL goal, and as I remember, it went off your skates and in. Yeah. And the other one was that Sean Hines, your teammate, also scored his first NHL goal the same night.
3: Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, crazy. It was. Uh, it was. A- Pretty cool game. Obviously, you get your first. And uh, I had a. I was really special for me because I one of the guys that I went back home and I'm really good friends with him and his brother and my brother, Are you know, the four of us are really good friends. He was actually playing in that game for Nashville as well, uh, Greg Clausen. So he was playing in that game. And I mean, if you ask me in a couple more years, it would have been a backhand shelf with two guys draped all over me. But uh, in reality, it was, I think, Hannon shot it to Nolan, who banked it off both of my skates and, and went in the net. It was it was definitely not a pretty goal. Uh, it even went under review. So uh, pretty cool, though, that the that it counted. And uh, I got those two guys' names on, on the score sheet with me. And my buddy came by and said, why don't you join the Soccer League, Smith?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, the official assists were Jeff Friesen and Scott Hannon. But you were playing a little bit uh, with Nicky Sundstrom and Scott Thornton because... Uh, Mike Ricci apparently was injured for that particular game, so that gave you an opportunity to see a little extra ice time.
3: Yeah, so uh, and that's when you're young player coming in, that's where you get your breaks, right? And I remember the first time I got called up because Vinny Damfoos went down with a shoulder injury or something, and then that's you know just uh, unless you're a top draft pick that you know they roll out the red carpet for you, you got to find a way in and. Uh, unfortunately it's you know either guys getting injured or or you know maybe moving on in their career so when you get a little bit of a, a crack you got to put stick your foot in there and and push it a little bit harder so um it's cool to get a get a chance and an opportunity and uh yeah some great names there you didn't play in the
2: playoffs in those early seasons you were watching from from the stands as one of the extras but that that sharks team in 2002 as well took uh uh, Colorado to seven games and lost one, nothing in game seven. What was it like being around an atmosphere like that, which had, you know, people like Mike Ricci and Brian Marchment and, you know, Scott Thornton on the team. These are all guys that had personalities that were very, very difficult to face when you're on an NHL rank as a, as an opponent.
3: Yeah. And I, you know, those names that you just brought up there, right. Those are the guys that, you know, they take it to another level in the playoffs and, and, we were a tough team to play against. Um, I, and I still think we were very close to, to going all the way a couple of those years. Uh, I've kind of got a break here, here or there. And that was, uh, obviously as a young kid, seeing that firsthand, just being around the atmosphere and seeing the electricity from, from regular season into playoffs, that's something I, I instantly fell in love with. And, um, I'm, Definitely all about energy and bringing energy to the game and, and you need that you need that momentum and uh, what a what a time in San Jose to be in the playoffs it was so loud in that barn I I, I love playing in San Jose.
2: And when you finally got in, uh, you were part of a team that went to the conference final against Calgary. And of course, that was the year that Daryl Sutter ended up uh, coaching the Calgary Flames. Mika Kippershoff goes over there, long series all the way to the conference final. And uh, you scored your first playoff goal that particular season. But uh, just to remind us about that run, because that run to the conference final was the first time the Sharks had gotten that far in the playoffs. And we often forget about it because of, A, the number of years that have gone by, but too because of all of the other times the sharks have gone that far. But that was pretty special, wasn't it?
3: Yeah. That was uh that was a good year. And obviously we, you know, two game, I think we're two games away there from going to the the Stanley Cup finals, right? It's 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 so close. And um a little break here, a little break there, but what a good run that was just experience that and and playing another month of hockey at the end of the season when you know all your friends are going home and they they're all getting knocked out one by one to to go that far is is pretty special and uh you know we got we got up against a hot calgary team at the same time um that uh you know i, I think they went 7 games against was it uh carolina that who who took them out that year Tampa Bay Tampa yeah Dan Tampa. Dan, Dan Boyle yeah <laughs> Danny Boyle there's another another beauty we see around here once in a while but some some fun times and just um, you know would have been nice to go go all the way that year. But uh, that was that was uh, for the for the while that was the, the most successful season in Sharks history until they went to the Cup there at the Penn. So that was uh, pretty special to be a part of.
2: It sure was. And the very next year, something really strange happened. There was no hockey in the NHL, and so it had to feel like being a fish out of water at that point after having spent your entire life. Uh being in hockey and then being a professional for a number of years. You went to Victoria for a handful of games to stay in shape and played in the ECHL, but what was that year without uh, the normal NHL
3: season like? Yeah, that was hard. You know, I was I think I was 25, 26 at that time, and I was, I was kind of just starting to feel a little bit more comfortable, right? In in my role here with the Sharks and um boom, we're, there's no hockey for a year. Uh, and that was tough. Um, obviously, you know, come Christmas time, everyone's kind of waiting around to see if they're going to do something. And they, they call the season. And uh, my old coach called me from Victoria in the East East Coast League. And Dale Peerington actually was, was playing on that team as well. He didn't finish playing on that team that year, but he was at that time. Uh, so he called me up and they said, get up here and play some hockey so I went up there and I, I actually ended up having a broken bone in my hand like the first week I was there and um, had surgery but uh, it was it was fun to just kind of go down and you know actually got a lot of ice time and and <laughs> scored some goals and had some fun went on a nice nice road trip so um, that was uh, interesting but again you know it couldn't have happened at a worse time I think for me and um, everyone wants hockey and it was just one of those unfortunate things, right? But the next year you're back to health and you
2: were a big part of the San Jose Sharks team that I think really could have won the Stanley Cup that season in 05-06. That was the year that you faced off against the Edmonton Oilers and you were on the ice for uh, something we're going to listen to right now, one of the greatest moments in the history of Sharks hockey.
1: Kemski to Pronger, to on the right point back to Pronger, crowd boos he gives in the corner Hemsky back to Pronger, to Stoll on the point. The point men are slowly inching in for Edmonton. Pisani on the right side, back to Stoll. Back to Pronger on the left side. Goes down low to Hemsky in the corner, back to Pronger. Cross-ice Stoll. Can't shoot it, good coverage by the Sharks. They're going around the perimeter, but no shooting yet for Edmonton. Stoll stops him on the right point. Goes back to Pronger. He's back at the blue line now. He crisscrosses with Stoll to get the better angle. That Let's way see they if that one works. Time. Now it's Pronger on the point. Cross-eye, Stoll, the drive, save, Toskala. Rebound, loose behind the net. Oilers trying to center it. Great defensive play by McLaren, but he couldn't clear it. Pronger kept it in. Cross ice now stole back to Pronger. He's booed by the crowd. Goes down low to Pisani in the right corner. Back to the right circle to Pronger. Left circle, stole shot. Saved Toskata. There's a rebound there, but again, McLaren couldn't clear. He got hauled down, too. No penalty call. Smith is wide open in front of the net. But now Hemsky can't get the pass through. He goes back to the point. Stole the drive high and wide. Rebound is centering. Attempt blocked by a stickless Scott Hannon in front of it net, a save by Toskata off of Pisani oh, tremendous tremendous stage two, two sharks sticks. don't have sticks and now another shot by the orders wide in front of the net Pisani try to get it pardon me never Smith. seen this before two broken sticks and a five on three stole fires it wide the two sharks that don't have sticks are Mark Smith and Scott Hannon the has got his Pronger in deep shoots it blocked by McLaren I stole the drive. It's blocked and cleared. Scooped by Scott Hannon all the way down the Unbelievable. ice. Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
0: <laughs> Unbelievable.
1: Never seen anything like it on a five on three. Listen to this crowd.
2: Boy, Smitty, that was really something. And of course, what's often forgotten is Edmonton did end up scoring on the power play a few seconds later, but nobody cared because. That was as loud as I've ever heard SAP center. And the other thing was you were on the ice for a very unusual situation. Uh, You and Scott Hannon had broken sticks. Kyle McLaren had his, and you were going up against the Edmonton Oilers. And by the way, that that Smith in my play-by-play that was wide open in front was Ryan Smith of Edmonton, uh, but he never ended up getting the puck. But uh, just walk us through what was going on through your mind, how to deal with that under that cauldron of an atmosphere.
3: Yeah, obviously that was uh what a, what a moment. And uh, yeah, like you said, I just, I remember that was, I just remember like, wow, this, I've never heard this play so loud. It was incredible. But the funny thing is, is we weren't even really doing much because it was all Vesca Toscal and just making some unbelievable saves. And we're just trying to clear everyone out to the outside. But, you know, I was telling my kids today, I'm like, when you have a penalty, the refs kind of let you, a little bit more aggressive and uh that's kind of what happened there hanner i think would slash two two two-headed someone who broke his stick and like right after that i had to do the same so we're out there with no sticks and they were just like teeing up one-timers from the slot and um pretty uh pretty amazing um spot obviously the the most famous penalty kill i've ever been on and been a part of and i've been killing a lot of penalties in my life but uh what a what a feeling when that Hanner jo- dove and, and cleared that down and we got off the ice. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, they came down and that probably zapped the momentum right out of that series. I think if they wouldn't have scored there, uh, we might have saw a different, uh, different outcome, at least to that game.
2: Yeah, I really think that that particular year it was really wide open because all of the top seeded teams got knocked out. And it was sort of uh, smooth sailing the rest of the way for whoever was going to win this series. And it came down to just a couple of of plays. I remember there was a triple overtime game. Sean Horkoff got the winner, and then uh, uh, the end of the series in Edmonton, where uh, basically the the kind of wound and ground you guys down a little bit. Maybe got the benefit of getting some non calls and and uh, getting good goaltending from Dwayne Rollison. and they ended up going all the way to the Stanley Cup final before Brett Hedekin's Carolina Hurricanes beat them. But wouldn't you say that all of the years that you played for the Sharks, that particular team and the other team that played. Colorado in game seven were probably the two best chances you had along with the oh four trip to the conference final to win the cup
3: yep I I think that year that we lost out to Edmonton that was uh that was the uh could have been a could have been the definitely the year that, that we went all the way and yeah they did they Edmonton just they they uh they, they ran us through the through the wall basically and I remember I think um, Ethan Morrow hit me from from kind of a behind on the side during a power play and uh, blew my shoulder out. I think I was playing with one shoulder that series. So, yeah, I was it would have been nice to get that. And that was the year that I was talking about Ka- Carolina winning in seven against Edmonton. Um, that was the the year I alluded to earlier. But Yeah. Shoulda, coulda, woulda, right? <laughs> well,
2: but lots of entertainment through it, and you know, you f- don't forget also to add to that list of bumps and bruises. Uh, Rafi Torres running into Milan Michalek in in the early part of that series and knocking him out of the series that didn't help much matters either.
3: You no, know, that was a uh, that was a big loss for us. Yeah, Michalek was playing great hockey at that uh, point in his career, and that really hurt us. And yeah, this uh, and that's those are the breaks, right? In in the playoffs, you need the uh i think ronnie wilson told me this you, you need the stars to align right and there's a lot of th- factors that that go into winning the cup and you know being healthy is definitely one of those factors ron wilson was an interesting coach to play for wasn't he yeah you know what i i didn't mind playing for ronnie wilson uh he was he treated me well he you know he, he uh he was fair i thought with with most of the most of the players and and uh gave everyone you know um pretty you know equal opportunity to to succeed and uh, i enjoyed the time with him um he is he was a good uh you know he he studied the game he was smart he he knew how to play the game he obviously was small right and when he when he when he was playing you know you had to be a smart player back there to to be effective when you're when you're so small playing in those days and um he had a pretty good career as well Yeah, that he did. And of course, the very next season, your final year with the
2: Sharks, um, you had to have a kind of a a sense of what was going on in uh, on the ice as a coach. And he seemed to have a good feel for the way things were going with the team. But I'll always remember that was one of the big disappointments. The end of your Sharks career uh, came in a series against Detroit where uh, you were on the verge of going up three games to one, and then absolutely everything went wrong on one play. Five guys on the ice were on the wrong side of the park or wherever. And somehow Detroit found a way to get some life. And then they ended up taking you in six and you ended up going to Calgary the very next season. But, you know, with some of the great moments like that penalty kill, like the trip to the conference final, uh, the series against Colorado, you had disappointments like that series against the Red Wings
3: yeah and then you know that's uh super uh super just unfortunate you know looking back you and those are the times that that haunt you right is like oh if we could have just got by that one one play or that one uh, one game you know and it's uh those are the play plays and the games that you sit here and and think of uh as you get older and relive your past obviously uh it's it's over and over as an athlete right um uh, but uh, luckily I had enough concussions that I can't remember too many of the games, too many of the older games. Well, I suppose that's one way
2: of looking at it. Of course, the next season you ended up in Calgary, but it's often forgotten that you were actually in training camp with the New York Rangers. And I think you played some preseason games for them, but you wound up with the Calgary flames. How did that all happen?
3: So yeah, I went out to New York, um, kind of, you know, didn't really know what, what I was, was going to do. Obviously it didn't work out with San Jose in the off season and, uh, i think they brought in roanick and the the writing was on the wall so went and had a camp in in new york and actually was kind of just heading back to the hotel and i got a call from daryl sutter saying that uh, he had played the sharks the night before and was asking uh didn't even realize that i i wasn't there and uh or at least at least that's what he said but uh he told me, uh, I got a spot for you up in Calgary if you want to come. And I said, all right, I'm on the next plane and, and went out to, to Calgary and, you know, had a, had a pretty, not a great year there. Uh, it was a tough year for me as well, obviously getting injured, but, uh, enjoyed my time in Calgary and, you know, sat beside Jerome McGinley in the dressing room. That was pretty cool, uh, experience every day going to sit by him and, um, some good guys in Calgary, obviously, uh, you know, being being close to home, that was that was pretty fun, too.
2: Yeah. Having your family not as far away in in Saskatchewan or wherever they might have been uh, pe- peppered across to Western Canada. But give the give the listeners an idea about the difference about playing for a Canadian based team as a Canadian.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's everywhere, right? In in San Jose, you could kind of leave the rink and disappear and, you know, people kind of leave you alone. But, uh, you know, in Calgary, it's such a hotbed for hockey is, you know, even as a a fourth line guy, you leave and you you go around town and, um, you know, for me, it was a pretty good experience, right? But it definitely can be taxing on players, it can be uh, stressful. Um, I didn't feel that much stress, obviously, probably because I wasn't such a prominent player on the team at that time but uh for me i enjoyed it you know just, uh, i just i love talking to the fans and and uh, everyone obviously had an opinion in calgary and uh, it was it was uh, it was entertaining at, at least uh, for for most of it but uh, i had fun in calgary good good place to play hockey
2: now, and as i remember you got injured when you were really running to the boards hard uh, what happened there
3: so, yeah, it was kind of towards the end of the year. I think it was, must've been January, February, somewhere in there. And, um, you know, it was just, it was a pretty innocent play. I was kind of just swinging back to to get the puck and Bougard, uh came down and then just kind of caught me at a, in the wrong spot. And I, I went in the boards funny kind of sideways and, you know, just the hurt my neck uh, pretty bad and, and, you know, left, obviously left the game and, that was, uh, that was the last time I was, I would be on the NHL ice, but, uh, so you don't obviously want to go out like that, but, um, you know, at that kind of time in my career, I, I'd, I'd played some hard minutes in my career. I wasn't one for, for tiptoeing around the outside and, uh, you know, my body was hurting quite a bit at the end of every season. I would be definitely doing surgery. I just didn't know what, on what body part at the, you know, come Christmas time. So, um, for me it kind of made sense that you know take a step back and you know my next gotten a little bit better over the years and stuff but i just the next season i wasn't in a spot where i could sign and uh the i had a family on the way and um so things kind of just moved on for me and you know, the next chapter of my life but uh it's it was uh, some great memories some great times definitely
2: we're talking to Mark Smith, Sharks alumnus, about his times and life in hockey, and of course, once the career ended, that's a big adjustment for any player, especially when you've donated and devoted your entire life to it. But uh, somehow, you found your way back to the Bay Area. Tell us how that happened.
3: So yeah, I've I always loved the Bay Area. I loved living here, and you know, I made some really good friends here. As uh, of course, when I was playing and. Um, My wife had moved up here. She's originally from Peru, but kind of moved to San Jose at the same time. And uh, I started my career here. So we had a lot of friends here. So we came back and, you know, I still had a house here and we were just talking about what we were going to do with the next chapter of our lives. And my wife is actually a very talented uh, fashion designer, high-end women's wear. And we decided to open up a a clothing store, a little boutique, um, Isla Clothing uh, it was called and, you know, she's still, we're still running the business. Uh, we don't have a storefront now, but, uh, you know, we do online stuff and, um, we did a store for a little bit, um, decided that, you know, we would, we would take a trip to Cabo San Lucas where my sister lived and, uh, went down there and, um, lived down there for about five years and kind of in the middle of that, I was, you know, kind of trying to decide what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And, um, I was kind of always good at computers and and gifted in technology. So, um, I started kind of teaching myself how to write code and, uh, getting into developing and, you know, uh, you know, spent, spent a lot of hours and sleepless nights, reading, reading books and blogs to try to figure out what I was doing. And, uh, it all kind of started making sense at some point so I uh, eventually came back up here to San Francisco after living in Kabul for five years and uh, my first uh, phone call was a company called PagerDuty. Duty and uh, I've been working for them for for about seven years now um, just being a web developer and working with the Sharks as well doing some time uh, on the radio with you Dan and keeping myself busy coaching as well so things are so things are moving along
2: Well, before we get to the radio part, uh, I want to ask you about how you convince somebody to hire you when you don't have any experience in technology.
3: (laughs) Well, it was uh, interesting. Um, I came up here. I did an assessment. I got hooked up with a, I had a couple other friends in tech at the time and they're like, let's hook you up with a staffing company. And they did an assessment. And uh, basically I kind of came in as a contractor and they said, all right, we're, we're, redoing this entire website you you know build this thing for us and I guess they liked what they saw after a month and a half of doing that and they they hired me full-time and I've just been uh, basically running our our web instances for PagerDuty for the last seven years so well uh, nope, nope, nobody should be surprised by this because you were also
2: I'm not sure if you were collaborating on this but your mom also wrote a cookbook that got published
3: I've actually made a couple of recipes from that thing it's pretty darn good there you go yeah and it's uh, you know it's all german-based uh, food so right up your alley uh Ruzzi, definitely um get some pierogies going but uh yeah my my mom very talented as well her her and her sisters are are uh, a couple successful restaurant owners uh, up in canada as well and they all love to cook and and so they did a a cookbook and you know my mom mom's side obviously very musical too so a lot of talent coming from that side is of the family. But that creative
2: side also has worked into broadcasting in the National Hockey League. Uh, and you were part of yet another big moment in Sharks history. But this time you were on the radio with me.
1: Behind the net in the trapezoid. Joachim Ryan to Sorensen. It's upended there by Stone. No penalty is going to get called. Eric Carlson to Thornton across the line. Thornton being checked by Theodore. Puck came out, but Eric Carlson intercepts. Moves across the line, lead. Barkley Goodrow gets around the defense, shoots. He scores. Barkley Goodrow is the hero for the Sharks in overtime in Game Seven. The Sharks were down by three goals. They came back. They took the lead, and then after Vegas tied it, Barclay Goodrow is the big man on campus. Sharks win five-four, and they win the series
0: in seven.
2: We were there together, and we'll be forever linked at the hip for that one, Smitty.
3: Uh, yeah, what a game that was. And I remember, right, as it, and this goes props to your uh, uh, radio uh, prowess here, Ruzy, because I remember that game. It was a very boring game, and the Sharks didn't have a sniff. And obviously, we all know what happened, the, the penalty against Pavs. And um, you pulled out this list. I think it was from, like, 1992 or something, <laughs> Rob I can't remember who it was Bob Berry, former Sharks Erie, captain. Erie. It was the
2: first time the Sharks went to the playoffs and he wrote 16 things that you needed to think about when you were going to the playoffs. He was a two-time Stanley cup champion. And one of them, number 14 on the list is you're never out of a game. There could be a five minute major penalty, And here we had it. It happened.
3: Oh, it was incredible. It was incredible. What a game to be a part of. And uh, you know, it's radio is something that's it's super fun, but uh, you know, obviously props go out to you and all the, the work you did to prepare for that, but what a, what a moment in time, what a moment for the sharks. And it just was super fun to be a part of it on the radio with you and calling that one.
2: I tell you what, uh, there are a lot of great things to come for this organization, but uh, you were in the middle of of a lot of it during the course of your time as a player. And now uh, in, in your part with when you join us on the radio and on television and how, how do you look at, uh, at the future for, uh, for sharks hockey?
3: Well, I think it's uh it's an opportunity, right? Um, you know, we Greerzy coming in. It's it's gonna take a couple of years, I think, to, you know, move some contracts around. He's already making some big changes and uh it's a good opportunity here to to mold something from the ground up and and you know, look to build something long term that the that the sharks are, you know look obviously looking to do um it's a great spot to live um players want to come here just because of the climate and the atmosphere um san jose is is uh has a lot of clout um in the players um community so it's uh it's something that uh, it's going to be a challenge but uh it's it's going to be fun to be a part of and and watch this team come together and i think it's a great opportunity here to uh, you know, build something, uh, that's going to last for the next, uh, you know, decade here in, in sharks territory.
2: But one thing I definitely want to see you do when you get a minute here or there is, uh, when things start to uh, get back to the playoffs, you're going to have to compose a playoff song for the sharks <laughs> and make sure
3: that, uh, that, that gets recorded. We'll have to make sure we
2: put that on the air somewhere.
3: Yeah, well, uh, we'll, I'll have to pull out the four track player and uh, dust it off here and pull out the guitar. It'll definitely. Shred some screams into the microphone. That'll be pretty fun, uh, Ruzi. The
2: Didgeridoo or the Donkey <laughs> Jaw. Those are two things you played too. I don't even know what those things are.
3: Yeah, well, who knows? They're, they're, I'd have to go find them right now. The the I got the dig going a little bit for the kids, uh, bringing out with the the Donkey Jaw. That one broke. I got to go to Peru and get a new one.
2: <laughs> Smitty, it's been great spending time with you, and we really look forward to a lot of great times together in the future.
3: Awesome, Ruzi. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
2: As a bonus to our show today, let's play one of Mark Smith's favorite songs. He recorded Faded Jeans and Hubcaps with his band The Vinyl Trees back in 2007. (laughs) ¶¶
0: what Dan
2: Rusinowski. Join me next time for another episode of Where Are They Now?